like it when podcasts start with just like your traditional names and introduction immediately, or do they like a little preamble? You know, like a cold open, like how some TV shows have. What do you think? Uh, I don't think. I mean, if in doubt, if you don't know which way to go, just yeah, get get just get meta. I guess you know, just start with the commentary on how to start a podcast. Hi, my name is Lynn, and this is the latest episode of the streaming. Well, I'm not sure that's like a great way to start, but you know, you, you can work on it. <laughs> and that voice over there is my co-host Eric McGill, the unapologetic geek himself, fresh from his tour of the night cycle of hell, New York, New York. I was literally flying out of LaGuardia the day they they uh, they landed all the planes, grounded ah. all the planes. Okay, so you left the scene of the crime. Yep, <laughs> I left Just it behind. Time. Yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, for all those of our listeners who don't know, um, uh, there's fires in Canada. Um, our heart go out to everybody who's affected by that. And uh, there's orange skies all over America, especially <laughs> in New York. And um, air quality is bad everywhere. But on the plus side, Diablo 4 is out. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to hell, New York. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, let's shift the tone to something more cheery. Entertainment. Today, we're going to be talking about Silo Episode 6. Is it 6 today? Oh, no. I think it's 7. I think I forgot to hit the change. Silo the Episode 7. You have one job, Eric. That's <laughs> I have lots of jobs, man. I don't yeah, know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I have one job. <laughs> and sometimes I do it badly. You just like have right to now. host and come up with good intros. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, as usual, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about things we've been watching and playing and just, you know, news, whatever, for a little bit. And then we'll deep dive into Silo Episode 7. As always, there t- will be timestamps in the description if you want to jump ahead. Another one of my jobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry, okay? Beauty and nice, if you know that. <laughs> I'll send the Pinkertons. <laughs> uh, all right. So, okay, let's start with you. What have you been watching or playing? Um, well, I watched a couple of different random Netflix movies, just, you know, browsing Netflix. Um, Me too. Yeah, I got... Uh, one, of, one that I really wanted to talk about is Lights Out, because... It's it's from like 2016 or something, but I remember seeing the short that it's based on, which is just like this really creepy short about a woman going to bed at night. And when she turns out her light, she sees a figure in her hallway. And as soon as she turns her light back on, it disappears like it only appears in the dark. She can only like see it through silhouette. And it's creepy and it's cool. And like the short ends when she's in bed and she has the light on, she turns the light off. And then the creature or whatever it is turns the light on and you see its face and it's really creepy looking. Um, it's just like a really neat <clears throat> gimmicky short. And I thought it was really cool, really well done. Um, and so I was kind of afraid to see the movie because that gimmick. Yeah, sure. It works for like a five minute short. But as a whole movie, that would just be jump scare of the movie. You know, it would be stupid. And I wouldn't I wasn't interested in it. Um but I figured, what the hell? I got nothing better to do. It's It was like a Saturday night or something. So I watched it, and it's actually really good. Um, I, I'm actually pleasantly surprised. I can say that, like, instead of turning it into Jump Scare, the movie, they actually kind of tackle it in a more intelligent way. And it's all, they focus heavily on the characters as 
dealing with mental illness and the whole thing is like a metaphor for mental illness in a family and that generational trauma of mental illness and things like that is really really well done um they also don't they don't do this thing that a lot of horror movies do where they spend the first half of the movie without anything really interesting happening or it's all just character set up and stuff they don't do that like they start right off the bat with this is there's this creature this is real this is happening um people are dying like right off the bat and like there is like a slow burn to a climax but at the same time you don't feel like you don't feel like the movie is is unnaturally setting the story up like that um it feels more like a natural uh turn of events as opposed to things generally escalating towards the climax i don't i don't know what i'm trying to say but like the only the only downside i would say i don't say, know you set climax a lot <laughs> i don't know man my brain's all over the place all right <laughs> um, go on no uh i will say the creature when they finally show it is really generic and stupid like it's just like creepy old lady nothing interesting which bothered me because the the creature design from the short was really really cool and really different and unlike anything else i'd ever seen before but this is just like standard horror movie blah did they explain it did they explain uh they kind of sort of explain it um but they don't really go into a lot of detail which is good because the explanation yeah. only really makes yeah. sense on a surface level if you think too hard about it, it doesn't make any sense but it basically was just like there's this woman who spoilers, was in a, obviously yeah uh, yeah there's lots of spoilers by the way um, there was a woman who or actually she was a little girl who was in a mental hospital and she had like a weird skin condition mm. um and then the doctors were trying some experimental treatment on her and she disappeared and so she has basically like this weird superpower that that's that's like just an episode of Buffy. <laughs> Basically, yeah. I mean, like they don't they don't go any more in depth into it than that. But she's like tied herself to this one girl's mother, and she like feeds off of her, and that, that's what the mental illness comes into play. Um, and their whole family's been completely wrecked by this. And so her superpower is invisibility and some sort of telepathic vampirism. Basically, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. All right. Well, there's an episode of Buffy in which uh, a girl was being ignored too much and she disappeared, became invisible. Uh, okay. <laughs> there's actually an episode of Star Trek Enterprise like that where one of the like ensigns, one of the like minor characters, starts like literally disappearing and nobody notices. <laughs> that was kind of funny. That sounds like an episode of Lower Decks. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Just speaking of which, did you see um, the trailer for the new next season of Star Trek Discovery? Oh, not Discovery, sorry, uh, Brave New World. Uh, oh, Strange New World. I thought you said Brave Strange New World. Strange New Worlds. Yeah. Yeah, I Strange did Strange New World. I did see it. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm so they, excited. They, they're bringing in the characters from Lower Deck. I know. That's just cool. Yeah. Uh, one of them is played by the guy from The Boys. The the titular boy. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I am so pumped. Like, I, we've talked about Strange New Worlds before, but like, mm. it's the best Star Trek show in decades. And I'm so excited mm. for more of it. <laughs> yeah. I have a co worker uh, <laughs> who, like, dressed like, um, imagine like the, the matriarch from, um, Arrested Development or Shit Creek, like she dressed like a like a nice, rich, uh, very well kept uh, lady, right? Except she wears a golden 
uh, Star Trek badge on her <laughs> on her uh, <laughs> shoulder throw <laughs> that nice. she doesn't wear the sleeves in. And I'm like, you are like a role model. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but respect for that lady. <laughs> That's cool. I like it. It's very cool. Um, okay, so you have... Okay, before we go to your next thing, I'll tell you what I've watched. Bros, which is touted as uh, like a, you know, gay romantic comedy that that is like from a perspective written by a gay man from like uh, that doesn't try to be like, oh, uh, gay people are like straight people too, you know? Like they, they will actually come... Um, tell the story from the perspective of a uh what is how it is different for gay relationship and especially gay dating in the modern world um it's fine it's fine like the trailer give away most of the funny jokes uh but here's the thing this is a middling rom-com but we've had a lot of straight middling rom-coms absolutely maybe yeah. if we have more gay rom-coms Eventually, maybe we'll get a great gay rom com. Law of large numbers, it's bound to happen, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but like the funny thing, uh, I think it does achieve what it come out uh, head out to achieve. But here's the thing: it's like two different ideas smushed together. One is just a series of funny sketches about how the gay experience is actually different from the straight dating experience, especially in like a big city and stuff. Right. Like, I don't think I don't think people should especially straight people should watch this and be like, this is how the gays are like. <laughs> this is how the gays live. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because like, obviously, it, as with everything, no experience is monolithic. And this this does follow, and, and he does make fun of it a lot, a lot. He's a st- <laughs> um, uh, white, <laughs> you know, middle-aged cis um, gay man. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and who is like well off <laughs> and right. live in uh, New York, I think, um, and is you know <laughs> hanging out with other yuppies. <laughs> um, but um, those bits are probably the better part of the movies. But mesh into that is is a because it's a rom com. Ro- the romance that develop is very cookie cutter. You know, somebody who is um, only has only focused on dating casually and on his, on his career, on um, him being independent, and somebody who's also like commitment foe for other reasons. He was unhappy with their life, um, not not confident enough to take risk when it matters. Um, those two people coming together and you know uh, finding love and finding yeah, like it's typical that's rom-com that yeah. yeah yeah um but are funny bits they are funny bits but most of them are in the trailer so if you want to watch it don't watch the trailer just watch the movie it's funnier in the movie <laughs> <laughs> like all the funny bits uh most of the funny bits are like the the main character is in the committee for like a lgbtq plus lgbtqi plus uh, museum and they have regular meetings with like a trans person, a lesbian, uh, a bi person, gay person, and all the fights they have in the meetings are hilarious. <laughs> like, they, okay. they, like that that's where this film achieves the it's uh <laughs> it's tag it's like logline, it's goal of being like, hey, this is this isn't this isn't a movie to be like, hey, accept the gays. We're we're past that. <laughs> this is a movie about yeah. it's like, hey, we are who we are. Like, like you know, <laughs> like yeah, like so so. There's infighting. There's like bullshit in here as well. But like 
that's fine. <laughs> and it is very funny. Like people saying like, oh, like, you know, we have to control the narrative. I see you. I hear you. And I internalize your pain. <laughs> and the other person like just wanting to leap across the table and punch them. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, I don't know. I Like, I don't think it's mine to judge, to be honest. Like, uh, but um I have talked to some of my LGBTQ friends and a lot of them said, ah, it's fine, but it's overrated. Like it was overrated before it came out, but like it was overhyped. It was overhyped. Yeah. And, and, and they tried to gin up a bunch of controversy around it too, and that didn't really work. Like it was so like transparently obvious, like marketing controversy and not oh, actual yeah? controversy. I didn't catch that. I think that I was mostly it. here in the States. So yeah. Uh, um but um but like yeah, nobody who watched it really hated it, but there's no like there's nobody who's like, oh, this is a quintessential movie uh, for the gay experience. No. So go watch it if you have a couple of hours to burn, I guess. Now back to you. Well, um, the other random Netflix thing I saw was I See You, which is a thriller. Um, and it, it stars like Helen Hunt, which like I didn't know what Helen Hunt had been doing for the last 20 years. Apparently she's been doing a lot of things, but she was in this. Um it's hard to describe this movie because there's a lot going on. Um, <laughs> it's about a serial that there's a serial killer on the loose in this like small town America somewhere. Um, mm. And the cop who's investigating him is having trouble in his family life. His wife recently cheated on him and the family's kind of broken as a result. And they live in this ridiculously oversized house. They're obviously rich. Um and you're supposed to feel for them in some way, but at the same time, you don't. They're all just kind of assholes. <laughs> um, but like the story knows that they're assholes and knows that that's kind of how they come across. Um, but it's trying to play it both ways. It's trying to get you to like these characters, but at the same time, they're not very likable. Um, and like for the first hour, I was bored. Like I almost turned it off. I'm like, this is stupid. This isn't going anywhere. I don't know what's happening. Because there's a lot of like random things going on in the house and it kind of leans into maybe there's something paranormal going on or maybe the the mother, Helen Hunt, is actually crazy. You know, things like that. Like there'll be like a weird mug that she's been looking for and it's on the roof. And then like the man she cheated on with comes to the house and the mug like falls on his head. So, you know, weird shit like that's happening. But like it doesn't seem to be going anywhere. And then at exactly the halfway point of the movie, you get a new piece of information. Full spoilers. There's people living in the house, living in their attic, basically. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and then the story gets a lot more interesting because you find out that the father, the detective who is investigating the serial killer, is actually the serial killer. Um, and that the people who are living in the house have figured this out and are trying to figure out how to stop him. Um and a lot of really there's a lot of things going on, a lot to juggle, but it all kind of makes sense in the end. Um, and it all comes together in a good way. Like the ending is really good. Like the second half of the movie is excellent. The first half is a bit of a slug, which kind of have to get through it in order to get all the context to understand what's happening. Um, so I recommend it, but you have to you have to be ready to stick stick with it because it's a very slow burn. Um, and I wouldn't say it's as good as Lights Out, but I did like it. I mean, it's a good thriller. It's a good, like, I mean, it's a good mystery movie, even though I just spoiled the whole thing for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we make sure to put in the notes 
full spoilers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we always say full spoilers, like because that's how we like to discuss things. Like ours is not a review podcast for you to watch and see if you want to go watch something. Ours is more like analy- analysis. I'm analysis absolutely podcast. terrible at talking about anything without spoilers. I'm I I can't do it. I've tried. <laughs> I fail miserably. Yeah, well, not the way we talk about it. Like we yeah. wanna, we wanna get into the nitty gritty of it. So we can't be like, it's good. You know, it's two hours of nonstop laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> I fucking hate log lines that they pull for movies, man. Like they're such nonsense. They say nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I hate how all every like written review, like from like professional movie reviewers, always has to end on a pun. You know, like. Mm. That relates like to the, the title movie. has to be the pun. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's. Uh, I mean, I love puns. I but... do too. I'm a dad. I love dad jokes, but like, yeah. it's just it's so repetitive. <laughs> yeah, there was one for the Flash. Um, uh, that's like a series of log lines, uh, posters, uh, 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 trailer. Um, and one of them just says, "A surprising amount of laughs per minute." <laughs> and I'm what? like, what? <laughs> <laughs> What? That could be like one. <laughs> that would surprise me about the flesh. <laughs> what the fuck? I know of criteria. Are you judging movies by you lunatic. The efficiency of my laughter. It's very important to me. <laughs> Schindler's list: zero out of ten. Zero laughs per minute. I didn't laugh once the entire movie. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, okay. So I also watch Renfield. Oh, uh, good movies! Yeah, I had the joy. Or I love doing this whenever uh, friends trust me enough. I have the joy of taking a friend to a cinema without her knowing anything about <laughs> Renfield. <laughs> like <laughs> she was like, "Yeah, I'll go." She's like, "You should be able to do whatever you enjoy for your birthday." And I'm like, "Well, I love movies. I want to go to the movies." She's like, "I'll come with you. Like you can watch whatever." <laughs> and she was like. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Lynn, I have been freaking out a little bit. I know that. Actually, when we're buying tickets, I tried to convince her that we were there to watch the Transformers movie because there's a giant standee of it. And I wish I recorded the look on her face. And she's like, oh, no, Lynn. <laughs> But no, when she realized it was Ramfield, she was happy because she liked Nicholas Hull. And she's like, oh, Nick Cage. So because so, so the only thing she saw was the poster outside the cinema. When okay. we got there. And um, she enjoyed it. And I liked it too. But I think it shows a lot more that like somebody who went into it knowing nothing about the movie really enjoyed it. Um, Warning. It's way bloodier than you think. Like, it is <laughs> really boring. <laughs> but if you're one of those people who the core doesn't affect you actually viscerally anymore, once it becomes comical, this is one of them. This is like one of those like old school, um, uh, like Rob Zombie style horror movies where there's like everybody have like twenty liter, no, <laughs> hundred liter of blood in the. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, like. Like Nicholas Holt is killing people with other people's arms that he pulled out of their socket. <laughs> At that kind of cause. So it's really funny. Um, I don't think it's a great movie. You can pinpoint the lack of confidence the studio had in this movie because 
The movie seems like it's short normally without a voiceover, but there is a voiceover on it that seems entirely added mm. later just to hold the audience hands. And I yeah, feel like it was fine. It. Yes. I feel like it was fine to have the voiceover in the beginning when Nicholas Holt is like recounting how he met. Oh, by the way, the Rand line of the story is it's about Ranfield, uh, the character that is um, Dracula's servant. He was in the original book as well. Bas- this yes, character is master. pretty much, yes, yeah. this character <laughs> is pretty much the character from the original book. Um, um, but they also try to blend in the. Um, the movie as well, which is quite different from the book, the original. In fact, they recreate scenes from the black and white movie with Nicolas Cage as Dracula. <laughs> That's pretty, pretty cool. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, in black and white as well. Uh, uh, I think it was fine in the beginning when Nicolas Cage was, sorry, um, Re- uh, Nicholas Holt, um, Renfield was at like a meeting for um, uh, being in abusive relationships, recounting his history with Dracula. Um, that's that voiceover is fine, but the rest of the movie, Nicholas Holt is just in the background telling me things I already know. Right, just explaining what you just saw. Yeah, <laughs> and one point they even like they couldn't even leave it alone for, to for us to realize that uh, uh, Aquafina's a cop. Uh, in one scene, um, her boss is like, "Stop investigating this." You know, and like her sister is like, drop this. And in the next scene, she is investigating it. We can, we get that. We can follow that she wasn't listening to them. But no, they put a voiceover in the like, over that is like, oh, if I don't investigate this myself, I'll never get to the bottom of this. So I decided to go. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I know. And also, Aquafina hasn't, you can't have multiple narratives for no reason. Like, Aquafina is just telling the story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Nicholas Holt makes it work as a guy who's like, oh, like, yeah, he's a victim also, but he also is kind of like a fucking coward, you know, like he has to learn that he has to, like, he is also culpable for some of his own actions and stand up for himself, but that's hard to do and still make the character the main character, but because Nicholas Holt is so charming, he sells it, Right. Like he's he he has that he has that like oh I'm such I'm just a little guy energy. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, the movie itself is um the the script is mediocre like um but all the actors bring it up to the next level because obviously Nicolas Cage is born to ham it up as Dracula. <laughs> Absolutely. There's a scene where Ranfield's lying to him. He knows Ranfield is lying and he's just being sarcastic, which is hilarious. <laughs> like I've never thought I would see Dracula, classic Dracula being sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Um and the ending, Nicolas Cage, the last line he to deliver as a, a as Dracula is I won't spoil it for you, but chess kiss. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and they don't go too hard on the romantic aspect. Like it does, it doesn't really end with like them, like the two main characters making out or anything. Although it is quite, it is quite clearly heavily being implied that like it is headed towards that way, right? Um, it also kind of reverse all the a lot of the consequences that a lot of the actual consequences that happen during the movie. Right, but it's a comedy, so who cares? Um, 
the secondary villain is played by the uh, uh what's his name? The voice of Sonic. He's he's John Raphael from Park and Recreation. Uh, ben Schwartzman. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, Schwartzman. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's he's hilarious, and he pretty much is. A murderous John Raphael. He's playing the same character <laughs> from Park and Rec. Um, and it's really funny. Um, the final confrontation between uh, uh, his character, John Raphael, I'm just going to call him John Raphael, <laughs> and uh, Nicholas Renfield is very funny. He's like, he's in like classic villain mode. Like He's like, oh, we're destined for this. And uh, Nicholas Holt's like, I've met you twice. You and me, we're Jing and Yang. It's like, I think you're taking this way too much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it ended with a very romantic dismemberment scene. Oh? <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds charming. <laughs> it is a very fun movie. You should go watch it. <laughs> It sounds like the kind of movie where as long as you go in just expecting to have a good time and not much else, you'll be fine. Mm. Yeah, I I am quite annoyed by the voiceover. I feel like it would have been much better without it. <laughs> that does happen. Yeah, that's annoying yeah. when it happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so you want to talk about this Harry Potter and the Cursed Child that you watched in the middle of um, the apocalypse? Yeah, I actually went to Broadway in the middle of the apocalypse and I saw Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Um it's funny, my friend just went to Melbourne to watch the the version that is being staged here in Australia. Oh, okay, cool. Um let's get it out of the way first. The story is terrible. Like <laughs> if you if you just look at it as a story, if you try to read it as a novel or you like think of it as a movie, it's bad. Like the story is it reads like fan fiction. Um yes. and there's a lot of queer baiting in it, like really blatant uh, queer yeah. baiting. It's very unpleasant. Um <clears throat> It, it deals with time travel and the time turner and the time travel rules don't make a lot of sense. Um, you know, that bugs me. Um, <laughs> and if you just look at it that way, this is awful. I don't recommend it. However, as a play, as a theater production, it's incredibly impressive, especially on Broadway where you've got all the glitz and glamour. Um, it makes a lot. The story starts to make more sense. Um, as a theater production, as just spectacle, as just giving you, you know, little bits and pieces of Harry Potter that we all know and love and just like showing it to you. Like you see Snape for reasons or, you know, you you see a lot of the Triwizard Tournament again from Goblet of Fire for reasons, you know, mm -hmm. like the plot is kind of takes a back seat and you stop caring about the plot so much. And you mm -hmm. start looking at the at the play as just a celebration of Harry Potter. And that's mm -hmm. actually pretty cool. Um, and the effects are amazing. I mean, at one point they've got like dementors literally flying over your head in the audience and it's like people on wires in dementor gear and it's really, oh. really well done. It is so cool. <laughs> um, and like, so... there's, a, there's another part where like they, they cast a Revelio spell and all the lights in the theater go up, but like it's black lights and you see that, that there's all this like crazy writing on all the walls and the ceiling everywhere in the theater. It's just oh. like stuff like that is really, really cool. And there's you can see all the stains on the audience clothes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you don't want to look at your seat. Don't, don't do that. Um... <laughs> it's like a Jetson Pollock painting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, what's that from? <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um... 
<laughs> you have problems, Quill. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like I, I went into it not expecting to enjoy it at all because I was thinking I'd read the I'd read the book version of it and I thought it was terrible, just absolutely awful. And... So I've only read the book version of it. And you know what I want to admit? I agree with everything you said. I kind of liked it. <laughs> I mean, like, if you think of it, I mean, I'm, I've come around on it because I saw the play and I saw it on Broadway and I understand what it was trying to do as a story. Like, it wasn't trying to tell an intelligent story so much as it was trying to tell a story that would give it's you fan service. the audience what it's you fan want. service. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Fan service. Yeah. That's why it have time trouble. Like, the plot is written around to take you on a journey through the highlights of the Harry Potter right. saga. Exactly. And, like, I understand that now. I get it. <laughs> And I think a lot of people hated the fact that, like, Harry, Hermione, and Ron, as adults, they're kind of, like, struggling. <laughs> not, <laughs> like, not that's great. <laughs> probably one of my favorite parts about that's it my is favorite that these part. are adults, like, and they're having adult problems, and yeah. You know what, though? Like, like I grew up, when I, when I first started reading Harry Potter, each book was coming out around the same time that matched my age. So, like, I was, like, always almost um, the same age as Harry. Right. And obviously, like, yeah, let's J.K. Rowling, terrible person. We completely agree, right? I'm just talking about the work itself. And I know the work itself, upon analysis, also problematic. But the journey of just Harry himself, like, you you know, of course, you project yourself into the character and then you see them go through it. I'm struggling now. So it's nice to know Harry's also struggling. Yeah. And, like, even... I mean, there's a couple of moments where he has like real like parenting issues. He says some yes. shit to his kid that he should never say. Yes. And I think any parent. He didn't have a parent. Yeah. He was raised by <laughs> abusive family. Of course. He's doing his best. It's actually it's actually great that he even got this far. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, do people want these characters as adults to just be perfect, to just not yeah. have any issues at all? Because that really right. would be fan fiction. Mm. And of course, Hermione is like an unattentive wife that is entirely <laughs> focused on her. Of course, she is. <laughs> as the fucking magic <laughs> prime minister. <Right. laughs> Ron's doing okay. <laughs> I kind of love Ron. Ron's the best. He's just kind of he's he's very laid back. He's still Ron. He's still yeah. joking. Yeah. Ron was always the best out of the three. <laughs> yeah. But he's like the most comfortable as a mess. I <laughs> yeah. see. I like this is I don't need my childhood heroes to be like awesome right now. That's why I like The Last Jedi Luke. That's why I like and people also complain about how Aang's adult life is portrayed in the sequel to Avatar The Last Airbender, um, The Legend of Korra. Nope. I like that. Like they, they're fine. They're good people. And they're still continuing to do good. good. But they also people. They yeah. fucking up. Yeah, you don't like <laughs> you don't conquer something in your youth and then live the rest of your life without any problems. That's not how it works. You yeah. know? Yes. Um, yeah. Uh watch the kid detective. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, I just want to say if if you read the book like I did and thought it was terrible and had no interest in ever seeing it, I give it a second chance. Cause like seeing it in person, especially on Broadway, but I imagine anywhere is really cool and i i really I... want to see it i really want to see it like when i read the book i was like because they they put the ch scene change and stuff in the books i'm right, like right, this right. would look brilliant if they actually pull it off and they do like the magic stuff is so good like there's a duel between draco and harry that is 
really fun to watch. All right. Well, uh, I'll fly to um, San Fran. We'll fly into that the hell hell again. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> I'll see it again. Yeah. <laughs> I, I probably should just go watch it in Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, just uh, if you want the full experience that I had, you should like chain smoke an entire carton of cigarettes first, and then go. <laughs> mm, okay. Uh, pass. <laughs> <laughs> Um, although, um, keep in mind that um, this the this work, the cursed child, does bring with it a curse upon the fans of Harry Potter. If you watch it, you will have to think about the fact that Voldemort fucked. <laughs> That's true. Yes, <laughs> I That's bet kind of hurt your brain. <laughs> I bet he does some study talk in parcel tongue too. <laughs> I bet he does. You know he does. Think about it. <laughs> How many percentage of the listeners do we think we lost? <laughs> well, if they're still here, they can talk about Silo. <laughs> he has no notes, so you can kiss that too if you really want. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. At that point, let's take a little break. And when we come back, we'll be talking about Silo episode seven. <laughs> I don't know about you, but this whole break, I'm just going to be thinking about Voldemort fucking. Yeah. Be right back. With Sims all along. <laughs> <laughs> Mystery song. <laughs> Jeez, I wonder why they um, credit this character really high and o- only cast him as some sort of lackey. <laughs> anyway, we'll get to that. We're here to talk about Silo Episode 7, of course. Eric, did you watch it twice like usual? I did, yep. I watched it, yeah, twice. Mm. I only had time to watch it once, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, it's fresh in my mind. I just watched it. I just watched it. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, um, let's do a vibe check first. So far, how are you enjoying it? Uh, everything so far, including episode seven. I'm really enjoying it, like, a lot. Um and it's not like my usual with shows like Wheel of Time or The Peripheral where uh, I can sense the problems like this. I don't feel that way like this. I, maybe there's a little problems here and there. But for the most part, I think this show is really spectacular and really well. Yeah. done. Yeah. yeah, I think like with especially with the peripheral, uh, I feel like the highs are really high and the lows are really low. And this here, maybe the highs aren't as high as those shows but it's pretty close and the lows are nowhere near as low. It's a lot more consistent at a high enough level. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I agree with you completely. Um, okay. Although so, I will say that engine episode, uh, episode three. Oh, that's a really good. That's yeah, still yeah. a really good high. <laughs> yeah. That's just like good, like executed television. Like the, yeah. the, the writing wasn't spectacular. Or anything. 
it's just so well done. Mm, yeah. Uh, let's see. Okay, so let's start with Storyteller Lynn recapping what happened this episode. Sheriff Juliet investigates. That's what happens. <laughs> <laughs> she stopped pulling at threads. She keep pulling at threads, and she solved all her problems the way Kool Aid Man solved all of his problem, <laughs> just bursting into the room and demanding stuff. <laughs> And pissing everyone off. Like, Damn it, I just built that wall. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, she just start chasing down clues. She could she find Gloria' name in the book. Um, she thought it might be Gloria Hilbrandt. Um, apparently, there's not a lot of name people named Gloria. <laughs> um, and she turned out to be right. And um, she chased that threat to Judge Meadows and Judge. She discovered that Judge Meadow may not have as much power as she seems to. Um, she, she she chased a threat to her father, um, get his help getting Gloria out of the uh, the ward to try and um, get her sobered up and <laughs> and asking questions, and that leads her to some revelations, including obtaining the hard drive, and it ends in a way where she batman her way out of a room <laughs> with one entrance. I don't know where the fuck she went. Uh, <laughs> but it really leaves us in an exciting uh, place for the last three episodes of the show. Um, I have, I'm brimming with questions, but we'll get to that at the end. Now, let's just talk about this episode. Where do we start? Let's start with Juliet. What are you thinking about Julia in this episode? Um, I mean, she's still being true to her character, um, but I feel like a little bit of the work from the last episode's kind of worn off that she's like reverted back to just barreling her way through things, like you said, like the Kool-Aid man. <laughs> um, it felt like it was building to a place where she was realizing that she was going to need help from other people. But in this one, she dismisses Billings like right off the bat um, and she's just immediately going out on her own again. Um, and, but I in kind of a lot like, of ways that is realistic, though. No, people it is realistic. Like, people yeah, are people like learn that. less in, in, incrementally, like they, and they slide back all the time. <laughs> and also, from from a character standpoint, it does make sense that, like in the last episode, she was dealt this brutal blow that the man she loved was not what he seems. So she's not going to be willing to trust right away <laughs> after that. So, like, I get it. Um, well, willing to almost make out with the guy who's a pretty much almost exactly him. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I I do I do like watching her barrel her way through things. I think it's more fun this way. Um, even though she's pissing absolutely everybody off, and she's she's kind of standing in her own way a little bit. But I I like it. <laughs> Bust into room, <laughs> demand you cooperate, refuse to elaborate, leave. <laughs> That's our playbook. <laughs> I will admit that they put like some serious obstacles in front of her and she still managed to get through them. Like, I wasn't sure she was ever going to actually get any information out of Glory because there were just so many, too many steps. <laughs> like, she would have to get her out of the hospital. She'd have to get her out of sedation. She'd have to, like, convince her that she can be trusted. I mean, and she somehow manages to do all that just by perseverance, if nothing else. And I can appreciate it. Some, some of it may be a little bit convenient. We'll yeah, there is some convenience, that. yeah. She is starting to be a little bit Batman-like in that, like, <laughs> 
like she is the character that is like, oh, she's gonna solve everything because she just want to, you know, <laughs> she just want to put her mind to it, like you know. <laughs> she even says that in this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so I guess we'll talk about Julia back and forth as we go through everything she does in this. <laughs> uh, let's start with Billings. I think the way she's treating Billings right now is better. Like, I, like I know he's she's still fuck up. She doesn't trust him enough, but part of the reason she's not telling him it's I think I I can also think of it as um, her trying to protect him. You know. No, and really from her point of view, like I feel like she she's telling Billings more than she would tell anybody else. Like she's being very open with him from her point yeah. of view. Like he doesn't yeah. see it that way, but when yeah. she like is being honest with him and laying it out, she doesn't know what the fuck she's doing and yada yada yada. Like to her, yeah. that's probably like just pouring her heart out to him. Whereas to him, it's just like getting little nuggets of information. So yeah. But I think he also get that. I think I think he also get enough that like he's still trying to help her. He yelled at her, but you know, uh, he's still like, All right, okay. You know, <laughs> I'm worried like about his baby. Like they bring it up. They mention it in the beginning, and then you see the baby later. Why do they keep bringing up his baby? What's going to happen to that kid? <laughs> well, common. You also have a kid. That's if true. you you cannot threaten other people's kids <laughs> when you have a kid. That's true. <laughs> uh, I think we knew about the kid for a reason. I think that's going to come into play later. Like if if like they hadn't brought it up again and like you know we just seen the kid in the previous episode and just left it at that I wouldn't be I wouldn't think twice about it but the fact that they bring it up multiple times in this episode that he has a baby means that that's going to be relevant and mm. I cannot see a good way that that would be relevant for the kid. <laughs> nope, no babies are safe in the silo. <laughs> no matter how quiet they are, because they're real yeah. quiet in this episode. <laughs> That's because they dolls. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Billings. Like, I, I think the show still wants us to be like, "Ooh, which way he's gonna fall?" I'm like, it's very clear which yeah, way it's he's very gonna obvious fall. <laughs> <now>. <laughs> um, okay, so let's talk about let's talk about uh, Jorah Momot. Uh, <laughs> <Dr>. <laughs> Yeah, like I said in the notes, I'm just going to keep calling him Jorah Mormont because it's just Nichols is too vague, you know, because that's Juliet's name and everything. Um, I there are several moments in this episode where I'm like, Juliet, come on, man, <laughs> stop being such a bitch to him. Um, uh, uh, one of them is to Doctor Nichols. Now, I am hundred percent not one of those people who was like, blood matters. Family, yada yada, yada. <laughs> like like real family. Like I'm more like of the Vin Diesel kind of family. Say, I was about to mention, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I'm into families you chose. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Instead of people you have to be nice to because you share blood. <laughs> <laughs> so that's not where I'm coming from. Like, I think I think Dr. Nichols have done enough damage to Juliet that she's right to be mad. She's right to be dismissive. But once you show up. At somebody's doorstep and ask them to aid you in a criminal conspiracy. <laughs> you can't be like when they ask you what's happening. You can't be like like I would tell you. You yeah. should tell them. You asked <laughs> them to help. <laughs> like, not only not... did she show up and ask for him to help, she immediately resorted to the worst kind of emotional manipulation to get him yeah. to say yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So you know, 
Yeah, Juliet. <laughs> right, human hurricane. <laughs> but yeah, I'm a little right, conflicted a because yeah, he is kind of a jerk and he definitely did her wrong as a kid. Yeah. Um, but you know, from his perspective, he's kind of a broken dude and he was obviously broken then. He's broken now. Yeah. So, I don't know. They live in a giant concrete can. None of them are okay. <laughs> But um, uh, we learn a lot of things from this um, interaction with Dr. Nichols. Um, he's like, he clearly feels guilty. Like he's he's willing to um, help her out. Like he doesn't give a shit about the truth or silo politics. He never <laughs> have, right? Otherwise he would have asked questions about what he's being asked to do. Uh, but uh, he's only helping, like he's willing to, to commit criminal conspiracy just to help her out. So I thought that was like, yeah, too little, too late, but also Juliet, come on, cut him some slack. Like, you're probably <laughs> going to get him killed. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't um, be surprised if he's in the next to die. Um, but we do learn about the level of conspiracy that the doctors are privy to, and we, our guest was completely right, that they are only being told to keep it a secret, to do things, but like I, like we said, like the conspiracy is being sectioned up and fed different things to different people. So they right. know... They are deliberately keeping some people um, sterile without telling them. But the reason that is being given to them is a weak excuse, but an excuse is given. That no, and like they're trying a, to weed out genetic anomalies. It's a it's a running theme in this episode through multiple characters like Bernard and the Judge Meadows and him and Jara uh, Mormont that like these are people who've made that compromise, who've said, OK, I'm going to stop asking questions. Yes. because then I'll get this power. Yes. Um, and you, you yes. see that how it plays out and how like it makes them a little embittered. All three of yep. those characters, they all feel like they made that choice and they're not sure it was the right one. They never will oh. be sure. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And um, Bernard is drunk all the time. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it's also realistic as well, you know? Like, um, this, this is how lasting conspiracies happen. Not by like, like, hundred people in a giant Illuminati meeting with like <laughs> yeah if everybody little, knows everything the conspiracy falls apart immediately. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Little little people like keeping their own little power and turn trying to turn a blind eye and not asking too many questions. Right. Uh, <laughs> um evil prevail when good man does nothing. And Dr. Nickel might not even be that good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which lead us to Judge Meadows. Mm, okay, well, uh, I think we did raise this possibility at some point in an earlier episode. I think episode. we mentioned like, it, yeah. Like, I'm not sure we Judge gave Meadow it too much credence, power? but we thought about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's just another figurehead is how it turns out. Like, this episode makes it very clear that she is just another lackey. And she has yeah. no control over anything. She doesn't actually even have any real power um, like she says, like, that's something I can't do. I can't even get this one woman out of the hospital. I just can't. There's, there's no nothing I can do to change that. I can't do it, yeah. you know. Um, but she does say they will never let you, not right. he. So it, she does say I, that. So Sims, at this point, it's quite clear that Sims has a lot more power, a lot more control, even more than Judge Meadow herself. But there could be more. Like, I don't think he's a sole dictator of the silence. No, definitely not. But he does have a lot of power and he's doing a lot completely unbeknownst to Judge Meadows. Like, I think 
when he's delivering messages to Bernard that Judge Meadows is unhappy, he's just doing that of his own accord because he's unhappy. Like yeah. Judge Meadows has nothing to do with it. She's yeah. just the the symbol. Yeah, yeah. Judge Meadow is the threat, so he right. doesn't have to use people like the guy who fell off the, <laughs> the staircase last episode. Uh, <laughs> it's a very Russian way of de- dealing with things. Uh, he tripped and <laughs> fell out the windows, like that dam. That dam that tripped and fell out the window. (laughs) (laughs) Way to keep things current. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or otherwise, way to date that episode. (laughs) Did you you see the Russian official state media like like for like a day after the dam blew up? They were like, the dam's still there. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's how authoritarians work, right? Yeah. We don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> what then? <laughs> it's kind of like uh, Fox News and that Trump indictment, you know. What indictment? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> what second indictment? <laughs> uh, anyway, um, <laughs> before we got off the thing, what were we talking about? Judge Meadows. She had a fancy apartment. She did have a fancy apartment. And one thing I noticed, and I think I noticed it before in an earlier episode, but I didn't think too much of it. But in this in this one, you see, you get a really good glimpse of it. She's got these little wooden slats along the wall. Um, and like they're 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 like deliberately placed there, like as decoration. But if you just glance at it and you don't really look at it, it looks like a bookcase. Like it looks like there's a bookcase in her room, but it's not. It's just these wooden slats against the wall. And I don't know, I think that was a really cool, like just production design decision i just think it's a neat i mean idea. those exist you can get those they call floating bookcases really oh uh, well yeah, yeah yeah definitely you're right yeah but i think um, it's, i think it's just a really I interesting idea because yeah. like you can't really have books in the silo that's not like a thing um yeah. so just to get the yeah. illusion of that to give her that illusion of um sophistication that you get in a fancy apartment without actually having a bookcase mm. i don't know i thought it was no, cool. i love I love those floating bookcases. I had the idea to like line one of my bedroom uh, wall just with floating bookcase things and use it as my wardrobe. Yeah, like the one in the middle uh, being for hooks, and then floating bookcases for like folded up. And and then my friends pointed out they're like that means all your clothes will be covered in dust. <laughs> There's a reason wardrobe have doors, you idiot. Right. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> um, but I also like if we're just going to talk about the production design a little bit, you also see that kind of shape represented in other places, like in Gloria's hospital room, she's got those same kind of rectangular shapes, but they're padding because it's a padded hospital room. Like it's not, it doesn't look like a bookcase. It looks like a padded cell. Um, yeah. So I just, I don't know. I like that idea of a recurring motif, like architectural motif that has different meanings in different places. I don't know. I just and wanted to point I out. Wanna, yes. And I want to give extra kudos to the set designers in this because they have to work with a lot of brutalist architecture. All that because concrete, that, man. Yeah. Yeah. The silo by its nature has to be function over <laughs> um, over style. Over yeah. style. But this is also a TV show. We can't look at <laughs> 10 episode season <laughs> of just brutalist concrete. <laughs> so they are in between a rock and a hard place to be like, okay, we have to be like, oh. Like this brutalist things that uh, that just need to function, as well as humanity's need for individualization, and also not to go insane in your little square room <laughs> and systematically start committing suicide. 
and I think they balance that really well. Like exactly what you're talking about. Like inside the rooms, like personality and function uh, and style that um, separate itself from things that just exist because they need to exist for survival inside the side. Right. It's not all just utilitarian. Like which yes. would be from a narrative standpoint would be like the direction you'd want to go in. But from a hmm. visual standpoint for a TV show, you can't do yes. that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So big kudos to the set designers. I like the costumes as well. Um, oh, I yeah. saw pictures of, uh, I didn't see this episode, but I saw pictures of Sims and his goons in leather aprons. And leather aprons are fucking sinister. <laughs> 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 I've never seen somebody wearing a leather apron and not thought, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, um, Judge Meadows have a little sad cry moment drinking her cough medicine. <laughs> I think it looked I think it looked like a margarita. <laughs> it, it did. It looked like some kind of drink. Um <laughs> I don't know. Like is she really sick? Because I kind of No, she's not. Like Julia like uh Juliet straight up say that. Like so that's why you're just lying here drinking your cough medicine. <laughs> <laughs> like, she's clearly just being sick of the figurehead. Like she needs a mental health day every once in a while, you know? Fair enough. Yeah. And, and Juliet here pinballing around probably doesn't help her kill, right? You it's probably a lot easier to ignore when somebody isn't raising a fuss and like yelling about the abuses that is being <laughs> committed under your figurehead name. No, and she caught her like completely <laughs> off guard. Like she was in that mental health break space and in barrels Juliet hurling all these accusations at her. Of course she's surprise, gonna... motherfucker. Here's a guilt machine. <laughs> of course she's gonna break and cry a little bit. And then that that's very authentic tear. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I just want to make sure. <laughs> uh we like obviously the another in to get Judge Meadows help is probably going to be the connection with her ex, you know? Right. Um, who is Walker? Walker, right, right, right. Yeah. Well, I presume they are eggs, you know. Uh, but yeah, um, uh, uh, another Romeo and Juliet parallel. You know? <laughs> <laughs> One's locked up in the basement, another's way up top. <laughs> well, it's another coincidence, but we'll put a pin on that for later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I feel like in a in a show like this, coincidences are easier to buy because there's 10,000 people. <laughs> <laughs> it is literally a small world, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I live in Brisbane. There's way more than 10,000 people. And I was out drinking <laughs> Friday night and I ran into like four different people that I know from separate places. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> I was just in Times Square. Yeah, 10,000 people is not a lot of people. <laughs> I did like how, just as an aside, in this episode, there's there's one moment, there's this one scene that is completely disposable. and uh, It's something that an editor would have hacked out, where just like there's these two, like a mother and daughter looking, like we don't actually know what their relationship is. They're standing above the staircase and they're making these little ribbons and dropping them down. And Juliet's mm -hmm. watching them drop down these ribbons. Um, it's just like a peaceful world building moment where like you get a sense of the other characters in the silo. Remember that there are other human beings other than the characters we're following. And I don't know, there's something like sweet about it. In the music, it was like violins playing or something just to like pull at your yeah. heartstrings a little. I, I, yeah. I really appreciate little pauses like that that give you a sense of the silo and the people mm. in it. So, yeah, I, just wanted to I, I didn't appreciate that Juliet didn't arrest them. <laughs> 
there was a sign in episode four that says um, tossing things over the railing is a crime. That's true. <laughs> but, you know, Julie doesn't give a shit. <laughs> She's a bad sheriff. That kid belong in jail. <laughs> Send him out to clean. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a kill. <laughs> Send her out to clean. <laughs> um. I would be a benevolent-ish dictator of the silo. <laughs> Please elect me to be the next <laughs> silo dictator. <laughs> There'll be no one left. He'll execute everyone. <laughs> no, no. I don't know if the silo will be run better, but life inside was inside the silo would get a lot weirder, let me tell you. <laughs> I don't know. I imagine your management style will be a lot like Bernard's. <laughs> <laughs> what just drunk exactly I feel, I feel like i would i feel like i would be funner drunk than banana <laughs> <laughs> um okay so let, let's talk about banana <laughs> you you finally see him like get down and whisper like, yeah like there there's a little bit of a, a conspiratorial side to him that like yeah he knows that there's shit going on that shouldn't be going on and he wants to try yeah. to keep that in check yeah um but again, you get the sense that, I mean, he even says that he made a choice early on not to rock the boat too much. Yeah. But he knows it's what we suspected. He knows yeah. he kind of has to. Uh, otherwise, everything will spiral out of control. Um, but he thinks it's because he thinks it'll be Judge Meadows who will take Taking control over IT. IT. Yeah. yeah. Um, he doesn't know that Judge Meadows is just another figurehead. And also, um, uh, Sims and his whoever these these people they are they probably are already in control of the it oh absolutely i don't think it's actually in control of anything really yeah like if they yeah. want to shut things off i'm pretty sure they have a switch yeah <laughs> that this is also another um uh, another characteristic of a successful conspiracy convincing the middle managers that they have more power than they do right it's layers Whereas, of control yeah Yes, whereas they actually have what they actually have is a function more than a power. They have right. power within that function, but you convince them they have more than that, and you make them comfortable. You give them a little bit that they they need to protect, <laughs> right? And you give them hope of a little more, <laughs> like being a temporary mayor. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of like the thing with the maintenance um, that, like. If you if you cause a fuss about the weird shit maintenance does, then they won't fix your toilet. Like like that's what Billing says, something like that. Um, yeah. But you know Juliet's character is like she doesn't care. She'll fix the toilet herself. Whatever. Yeah. Um, so like I, I, yeah, it, it thematically it fits in. Mm. All right, let's talk about Juliet's potential rebound. <laughs> the, apparently, the best way to get over somebody is get under somebody. <laughs> Especially somebody who's almost identical. <laughs> <laughs> Juliet, my girl, ranch out. <laughs> Try new things. <laughs> Beardy uh, little motherfucker who's also an IT nerd. And that guy is like, he has game. I respect him. He was talking <laughs> about the stars, like, you know, uh, peaking her curiosity. Uh, he has so much game that. You don't trust him, do you? you I don't trust him. I think yeah. he's like he's he's too perfect. He fits that 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 mold that that type that Juliet has a little too much for me. Like I don't I don't buy it. I still suspect that there's other things going on here. I don't think he's just a love interest. I, I just don't buy it. I, I don't. I have trust I think, issues. 
<laughs> I think he's probably it's a if he's a plant, I think he's probably is a plant from like a secret sect of the play flame flame keepers, you know. Right. Um rather than from Sims. Sims doesn't seem to be able to use tools that subtly. Even his spies aren't that subtle. No, I agree. He yeah. just kept people to follow people. <laughs> yeah, don't forget, like, he ends this episode, like, sending the stormtroopers after her. So, yeah, he doesn't do subtlety very well. <laughs> Even what the strawberries thing the wasn't very subtle. Huh? No, they call them raiders. Raiders, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah, the strawberries thing wasn't subtle. When he was trying to get people to follow uh, Juliet and Billings um, on that investigation last episode, it wasn't subtle. He just come up with two dudes and it's, like, talking yeah, to like them right, right there, there. yeah. <laughs> like he's a guy who has a lot of power um that goes unchecked and hidden that he he's used to working under the assumption that things are hidden because he can always escalate when it gets out of hand like pushing a man off the (laughs) rail and like Uh, when when we first see him it's like he walks in on a place where things are about to escalate to a fight and everybody just stops and like oh shit here comes judicial you know so like he's used to that kind of behavior people around him just you know being subservient so like you get kind of drunk with power in that kind of situation yeah actually i was gonna leave it till later but let's talk about sims now i think the one of the thing we really need to pay attention to and analyze is his story he told about his dad when he was trying to push that dude off the railing. He was talking about his dad being a literal janitor, right? Right, right. Discriminated. Uh, people look down on him, you know? Uh, people talk about him behind his back. I don't get the impression that his dad graduated from being a janitor. I think his dad was always a spook, just was pretending to be a janitor, right? That was his right. function. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I agree. He was high level in this janitorial secret police. <laughs> Quite clearly, um, we can tell from the story about like his bully's dad getting a surprise transfer. Right. Um, no, I think but, I think Sims but, has grown up with a sense of uh, dare I say entitlement, but yes. like he's he's very privileged and he feels like he's part of this privileged few mm-hmm. that that he he is above everyone else in in the class system and like literally and physically but it goes more than that as well uh, like everything you said is 100% true but the way he talk about that story about his dad like he's proud of the secret power but he still clearly has the disdain about it being secret right yeah. <laughs> I think so. Like he, yeah, he, he talk he talk about it. He's like, oh, I I never would have thought that my janitor dad would have done. Like, I I wanted to imagine and I wanted to be I wanted to be proud about the idea that he might have said said something, done something. And yeah, then, he doesn't think it's fair that his dad didn't get recognized as the right. And then the, that twisted desire came true. He got he got positive feedback for that twisted desire, and now his dad pretending to be a janitor. Sims is not pretending to be a janitor. Sims is pretending to be second in command. Sims is pretending to be the fist where he's also part of the string. (laughs) Right, yeah. (laughs) So, like, he has escalated. He doesn't want, like, he's no longer as effective as who, however his dad would have been, right? Because he has become drunk with power. Like, in, in, in a way, even the 
even the conspiracy is falling apart. Entropy is starting to seek into even the conspirators and the conspiracy. No, I mean, <laughs> if, there are, if there are people above Sims, and I do think there are, they're probably not very happy with him um, because oh. he's making it more public, because he's more visible. Um, yeah, I think I don't think that that's what they want. They want they want to try to keep it janitorial. It's secret. It's not something you should be you shouldn't be out there flexing your your power and your muscles like that. Mm. That Ozymandias room is not very well hidden. No, it's not. <laughs> that secret door looked like a secret door. <laughs> I'm glad you said that, because, yeah, I thought the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> if you walked into that room and you're like, oh, there's three bookshelves there. something that looked like a secret door. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like that random secret door in Monsters, Inc., or like a hallway just ends at it. You know, it's like, that's obviously a door. <laughs> Uh, just remind me of the scene in uh, Avengers Age of Ultron where Tony Stark finds a secret door. <laughs> Ooh, yay! <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so, yeah, Lucas. We don't trust him. He seems... He's bumbling, you know. I kind of I kind of hope it works out for our boy Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm just partial to little nerdy boys who's trying to do the best they could with what game they have, okay? <laughs> what what made that kind of character appeal to me? I don't know. I don't know, man. Yeah, that's weird. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that good luck, dude. <laughs> I am getting a little impatient, though. Like, this is three or four episodes in a row where he's just been in that one scene. Oh, you want Lucas to get laid already? Is that what's happening? <laughs> I mean, he did, he did get closer in this episode, but I still think they're kind of slow walking. <laughs> they're kind of slow walking yeah. this pl- subplot. And it's, it's starting to bug me a little bit. Yeah. That's all. It's not bugging yeah, me a lot. Like, it's not something that's like really making me mad or anything. It's just, <laughs> I just want him to move it along. <laughs> he also chose, even if she was, like he doesn't know what's happening with her even if she wasn't in that bad mental space he also chose the wrong time to lean in for a kiss no he he jumped the gun he definitely jumped the gun <laughs> also he didn't he didn't stop when she didn't seem respect uh, receptive uh, he did he needed to lean back straight away <laughs> <laughs> i'm just saying my boy lucas he doesn't have as much game as he think he does <laughs> <laughs> he needs to work on it he needs more practice you do talk more about the stars. <laughs> patience. Uh, patience, Padawan. <laughs> uh, okay, so you have a whole subheading here. Before we talk to the talk about Gloria and all the big reveals, you have a convenient self you have a subheading here called convenient storytelling. Uh, yeah, I feel like in this episode it kind of highlights some of the more convenient things that are happening in the plot um and this is just a nitpick this is not a very serious complaint it's just something that i notice and kind of bugs me sometimes um uh there's there's too many i mean we talked about the characters who are all related to each other and how that Mm -hmm. is kind of getting a little too twisted for me like too many different uh threads but like we said it does kind of make sense in a in a closed system like this Ten thousand people you're bound to know a lot of there's going to be a lot of crossbreeding, basically. Especially uh, when you justify after the fact that it's because they flame keepers. That will be a small group anyway. Like there, there will be a small group that are seeking the truth, and she is pulling threats at people who are seeking the truth. So I don't really mind that much that Gloria turned out to be like really <laughs> integral to um, 
thingy's life, um, George's life. George, but right. it, it is a little bit weird that George's mom knew um, uh, Juliet's mom. But that is once a bit again, weird. But you're right. You're not wrong. Uh, but yeah, it doesn't it doesn't bug me that much. Um, yeah. But I was surprised that we start this episode and all of a sudden we're talking about Gloria again, and we haven't seen her since episode one. I don't think. Um, so she's connected to all of our main players. She's connected to Sheriff Holston. She's connected to a Juliet. She's connected to George. And it's a little too much. Like it's a little too convenient for me. Um, but that's not even like the biggest thing it's in this episode. There's a couple of moments where it feels like they had to make up a few contrivances to move the plot along. Um, like getting Gloria into the baby room where like, Juliet goes in one direction and her father goes in another direction. And that happens to make it so that the people watching them lose them, which would make sense if Juliet knew that they were being watched, but Juliet didn't know that. Um, well, Juliet knew they were being watched by people. Remember, they did have a scene where she walked past a person and she, um, he was clearly looking at her and she turned around and looked. Even if it doesn't confirm her suspicion, she has a healthy sense of paranoia that she's potentially being followed and being watched by people. Well, fair enough, but it still worked. And it shouldn't have if they have cameras on them. They should have been able to track their every move. But the fact that like they walk into these blind spots, and they even say it in the episode, he, she lucked into a blind spot. Like That just seems a little too convenient for me. Like It feels like the writers want us to know that they're being watched, but at the same time, they don't want the inconvenience of that to affect the plot that they're trying to tell. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. I mean, that's what, like, in mystery, that's... That's essentially what what most writers do. Have yeah, to you kind of right? have to. And that's why yeah. that's why I say this is a minor nitpick, yeah. and it's just something that bugs me as a writer. But like, I and I understand it, the nuts and bolts of it. I get it. It's just yeah, yeah. Instead of instead of it being about um, having to excuse it, uh, I think the the real question is whether or not the excuses are good enough. You right. Know, the excuses they give to, oh, this is happening, but they got away with it. Why? As long as as the reason they give for why is good enough. Here, I'm going to defend them. They did try and give a reason, which is, well, entropy. Like The thing we keep talking about uh, in the silo, it's a closed system. Things are going to fall apart. And even for the conspirators, they're running out of cameras. Right, they're having to repair a lot of cameras. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They said they're taking out cameras from medical and putting it in other places. And I guess because, like... Medical is, you know, they think it's covered by their own, their people, you know, doctors who are, um, you know, in their... In their pocket. In the part of their conspiracy. And I guess it probably is a rich, well-off floor. There's not a lot of crimes they need to look out for, you know? No, I imagine medical is probably a low priority. So it does make sense. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, it, and it, the, the, the fact that cameras are falling apart, that's the part that makes me want to buy it because I'm always looking out for like signs they are showing off like, hey, the silo isn't being as well run as it appears to be. Well, that would be a good excuse if Sims wasn't surprised by this. Like Sims shouldn't have been surprised if that is the explanation because he should have grown up in a world where this is happening all the time. Like he I don't think Sims surprised. I think Sims is like being a terrible middle manager as always, which is like they want something, they can't get something, so they're like, "Why can't I have it?" Yeah. <laughs> like I said, he is he is privileged and spoiled, so yeah. yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> I also take issue. There's like 
it's it, there's one line that really bugged me and it's when they walk into the nursery with the babies and Jorah Mormont says they don't listen in this room for some reason like he literally says for some reason and that that's like the I don't have time to explain that I don't have time to explain kind of thing that really bugs me is when they like they lampshade it without actually lampshading it like they say we know that we don't really have an explanation but we're just going to say that and accept it except that we also, don't have an explanation also how does he know which rooms they listen in? he's not that's that the thing that really conspiracy. bugs me how would he know yeah. that <laughs> yeah oh yeah. Uh, look we have said this before there are moments in this show where they like they blah blah over what things audience should know and what things characters should know like he should not know about how deep the, the level of the conspiracy goes. yeah he shouldn't uh, know like whether or not they're listening in this room unless he's already done illicit shit in this room well and also it's not just that it's conspiracy like the level of conspiracy like us audience already know he doesn't know and uh to our listeners like we're only Hopping on it about this much because the show is otherwise excellent, like you know, yeah, I'm it's just a little bit disappointing. To yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Like it's a little bit disappointing when uh, a really good show drops the fall balls in some minor ways, um, uh, especially for uh, things that are very common. Like, like this, this kind of things isn't a mistake. I bet this kind of things in in every single writer's room there will be somebody who's like, should we fix that? The result is. The, <laughs> It make it to the uh, uh, screen for two reasons. One, not enough money and resources. Um, second, somebody just going, eh, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, like you were saying. I mean, it's not a mistake. It's a compromise. Yeah, that's what yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so hard locking into the blind spot. Mm, that I agree with you a lot more. Uh, but at the same time, like, I don't know. You... You have to be a little bit lucky to be a protagonist, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Especially one as reckless as Julia. Yeah. <laughs> if she didn't have luck on her side, she would already be dead. So <laughs> that's one thing I wanted to talk about, like Julia's continuous success, even though she barely knows anything about the level of conspiracy. She knows a lot more by the end of this episode, right? Yeah. Um, but um, and Sim's inability to keep up and deal with Julia. It's what I said about certain controversial political candidate in America <laughs> when um, he was going through your country like a bull in a china <laughs> shop. <laughs> you cannot you cannot fence with somebody who doesn't know the rules. <laughs> like, true. You cannot fence with somebody who's 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 there for a street fight. <laughs> right. <laughs> like it's uh, a lot of the people Sims deal with are either complacent or bought into the conspiracy, or even the ones who are actively enemies who are working against him know the level of control he has and is making careful moves. Whereas Juliet is suddenly a wild card who's just like bulldozing through everything. <laughs> And he can't keep up because he can't predict what she's going to do. She doesn't know the rules. She's just doing whatever the hell she wants. Her bursting into Judge Meadows' apartment with the information she has is insane. It's completely nuts. Idea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she thinks he's in control. She thinks Judge Meadow is in control of everything. She she shouldn't be able to burst in there and do that. And Sim is counting on people having a healthy fear of the figurehead <laughs> not doing that. But the problem is Juliet, 
is dumb enough that she doesn't have that healthy fear. So right, he, right. Like, that, <laughs> that keep happening to Sims. And like, I sympathize with Sims sometimes. It's Lydia <laughs> and Julia going like, what the fuck am I going to do with you? <laughs> well, I mean, Juliet has lived a long time in the, in the bottom in maintenance or yeah, maintenance um, with yeah. the engine spiraling yeah. on the edge of out of control every minute of every day. And she's just <laughs> used to that way of living. So of course she's not going to have fear. Of course yeah. she's going to be crazy enough to just barge in on judgment. It's not even with any like leverage or any, not even really no. a plan. She's just no. walking in there and saying, you're going to do this for me because you're going to do she this does for This me. episode has a plan. Like even last episode, like she doesn't have a plan. She has, what she has is good gut instinct. Right. And, uh, and a really good guilt trip. <laughs> <laughs> and that badge Holston pinned on her, I think that's why he did it, is another level of protection on her that Sims can't even resort to his ultimate <laughs> a solution to all his problems. Off the railings, you go. Right. You know? <laughs> like murder. Because the previous, the previous uh, sheriff took a walk cleaned up if this second sheriff the replacement mysteriously dies week after it is a thesis to what sims needs to do which is have control and peace in the silo <laughs> <laughs> so i understand and I, I like i'm completely on board with uh this they sims and whoever they are not being able to control and solve juliet because they can't take drastic steps, but whatever less drastic step they take, <laughs> Julia just keep running through them like the Kool-Aid. <laughs> I think the problem for Juliet is going to be how does she react once she really starts to understand the stakes, when she really starts to understand what she's what she's what she's dealing with. Like mm. now that she knows she's being watched by cameras and she knows the level of the conspiracy and that. You know, she now probably thinks she's the only person with this information now. Mm. Um, you know, how does she react? Does she temper her attitude and in so doing, like, take away her own superpower? You know, like, once you start being careful, you lose that that random factor. It would be like if suddenly Trump grew a conscience, you know, what would that do? <laughs> you know, like... I imagine it'll be like the end of uh, the portrait of Dorian Gray. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, just see, we'll just we'll just find him in the attic somewhere. <laughs> uh, <laughs> one can only dream. <laughs> okay, so the uh, reveals the biggest juiciest reveals in this episode come in the form of one slightly insane <laughs> Gloria <laughs> Hillbrand. <laughs> we didn't realize she was going to be this important when she was like being a cuckoo the cuckoo <laughs> hippie chick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> turned out she was right all along as most cuckoo hippie chicks turned out to be. Look around. The yeah. skies over New York is orange right now. The cuckoo hippie chicks were right. <laughs> <laughs> we also still owned um Sinead O'Connor apology about the fucking <laughs> Catholic Church. <laughs> I'm reminded of that like cuckoo hippie chick from like Woodstock 99 who was walking around being like, This isn't what peace and love is about. You guys should just like clean up your trash and clean up this and do that. And you know, like as Woodstock is burning all around her, you know. I mean, yeah, listen to the hippie chick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
anyway, um, this one was right all along. Um, okay, where do we even start? There's a lot that she dropped on us, right? Yeah, she drops the name of this underground society called the Flame Keepers, mm. which is which is a good Bad name. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Um, but she seems uh, to be under the impression that it's basically dead, that there are no flame keepers left. She even tells I bet she's wrong. Julia, yeah, I do too. But she thinks that that is the truth. Yeah. And she tells Juliet that Juliet is now the last flame keeper. And I think that's important for Juliet's character for her to believe that, at least for a while. But yeah, I'm with you. I I'm almost a hundred percent sure she's wrong about this. There's gotta yeah. be more flame keepers out there. Yeah. Especially because this is not end of the series. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even end of the season. <laughs> and like we've talked about a lot, there's gotta be some kind of counterculture underground, you know. Mm. This is very well hidden. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean further underground. Underground. Yeah, underground, yeah, yeah. underground <laughs> the underground. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um they put stuff in the water to make you forget. Mm. That's interesting, and I'm not really sure Big what deal. that would be. Um, but yeah, it kind it's of... fluoride. Fluoride. That's how they're doing it to you. <laughs> Only up, drink Alex soda. Jones. Only yeah. drink soda. <laughs> it also turns the frogs gay, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, not like Hello, that, my baby. Hello. My there's also like if you look back in the episode, they talk about when um uh, no, it was it was with Gloria where Gloria was talking about the, the her husband that she had pushed away because she didn't want to tell him all of this. She didn't think he could handle it or something. Um and insane, then, insane way of dealing with problems. By and, the way. <laughs> yes, don't do that. Um and then like when she sees him again, he treats her like she he doesn't even remember her. And part of me is like yeah, that makes sense. But another part of me is like, maybe he really didn't remember her. Maybe he really has forgotten on that part of his life. Um, that like, maybe this affects some people more than others. Maybe, but surely it has to be some sort of chemical that only target long-term memories, right? Yeah. Like, I because mean, it, because memory be is stored differently. Because yeah. otherwise the silo wouldn't be functional. It would be being like, <laughs> it would be lived by a bunch of drooling idiots who doesn't remember their own fucking name. <laughs> It'd just be a bunch of like um, Guy Pierce for Memento. Only they don't have post-it notes because they don't have enough paper, <laughs> and they don't they don't have tattoos because all their tattoos are fucking scribbles. <laughs> but it's interesting they are drugging her with uh, lorazepam, which also affects the memory. By the way, um, and uh, I I got into a, a little rabbit hole earlier today looking looking stuff up, trying to figure out. Okay, they, they mention aspirin and they mention lorazepam in this episode. Well, they don't mention lorazepam, but you see it. Um, right. And I was just trying to figure out how, how are these things manufactured. In a closed system, that's kind of important. Um, aspirin, I know, is actually pretty easy to manufacture if you've got, like, if you get the right kind of tree, like a willow tree. Or you can even genetically engineer something that'll get you close enough that you can manufacture aspirin out of it. It's really easy. Um, lorazepam... I didn't want to Google too much because I'm already on enough watch lists. I don't need to be on anymore. Mm. But like, I'm curious if lorazepam can actually be manufactured in a closed system like the silo. Like, do they have a chemistry lab where they can they can synthesize things that specifically like when you're when you're synthesizing drugs, it has to be very, very clean and you have to have the right raw materials. And you know, I'm I'm talking like I know what I'm talking about and I really don't. But I'm just curious, like. I don't know if the writers thought that far into it, but it's just it's just somewhere where my brain went because, you know, I really want to understand how a closed system could work. You know, mm. that's all. 
Hmm. Well, I didn't pay that much attention to to it. I, I kind of found it funny that they were like one party's like dope this woman up, and the other party's like we need her to wake up immediately. <laughs> <laughs> poor, poor Gloria is just having speedballs against her will. <laughs> Okay, that was another bit of convenient storytelling where she like immediately goes into a seizure, but like she's she's having a seizure with the two people who know how, who know best how to handle seizures apparently, um, and Juliet knows but exactly what to do. He is a doctor. <laughs> I mean, he's a doctor. Yes, it makes sense for him, but like she's also had to deal with this with yeah. her father's help. Like so, like I don't know. That's a little convenient. She just needed to count. It wasn't that. Like, it's not like it's not like it was not was a grand mall or anything. It was just a little tiny seizure. No big deal. And also, the seizure itself explains how she became a lot more Lucid. coherent, a lot yeah. quicker. That's that's that was a nice touch. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh. Yeah. So, um. Uh, that like I know it's just a little bit of lampshading, uh, a little bit of throwaway line to explain some stuff, but I was always being like. Uh, like society don't just forget society like <laughs> like stories persist you know people tell their children things and people tell their children things the story would become corrupted like um, what they're implying about the Romeo and Juliet play um, thinking somebody who live in the silo wrote it uh, but they wouldn't completely forget to a point where they don't know what the fuck stars are you know well I think that's what that's uh, kind but, of what Gloria was getting at um, yeah she she even says like the the curiosity is something they can't breathe yes. out of you. And she's talking yeah. about the beach and how like she knows what it looks like and she's curious about what it would feel like, what it would smell like, you know. Yeah. Um all of these things make sense. Like Gloria is making that point that yeah. there's nothing you can do to really stamp that out completely. Like you can't yes. do that. Um yeah. Yeah. All I'm saying is the explanation they gave that they put stuff in the water. Look, call me Alex Jones because I'm buying it. <laughs> like, good. That's enough explanation. I like now I will stop being like, how can the population forget? <laughs> I'm okay with it too. Like as just like one Magic piece water. of the puzzle, it's fine. Like, yeah. yeah. And Add it to the line, pile of reasons. Yeah. And that line you said uh, about Gloria, they can never breed their curiosity. Um, that really elevate the narrative of this story in my head because I really like my main worry about which story this uh, which direction this story is going is what kind of ultimate judgment and uh, message it will have you know about like uh, humanity and like as a collective how it would act in this kind of situation and if the this story is willing to even touch on that, like oh, curi- like humanity will always cur- be curious. Like you can't stamp out curiosity. You can't control them in this kind of system for so long. Perfect. That's what I want. That's what I want from this story. And that's how I personally feel about myself. That's how, what I hope real humanity is like. <laughs> <laughs> so, like I love it. Take me on this ride. I'm in. Uh, Gloria's probably gonna die soon. So sorry, Gloria. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I think they're gonna. I don't even know why they're keeping them alive this long. I have I have I have thoughts on that. I have thoughts on on that. Um, I think that this is how they normally handle people who have asked too many questions. They don't normally kill them. Um, I think when he was talking to Trumbull about the mistakes he made with George and the mistakes he was making with uh, the uh, Marns, um, he was talking about the fact that he had to kill them. Like I don't think that that was the original plan for George. 
I think George was probably going to wind up just like Gloria, like just locked away, mm. um, drugged out of his mind, not able to do anything anymore. Um, yeah. Because that's quiet. That's not yeah. something you have to explain to the populace. It's not something yeah. you have to come up with a cover story for. It's just not something that could potentially lower morale because exactly. it's public suicides. <laughs> so I think that the 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 murders are more the exception than the rule. Um, and I don't like part of me wants to believe that Juliet's mother didn't actually kill herself, that like she was also murdered in some way. But I don't think so. I think she actually did kill herself, and I think she did it for um for noble reasons for like sacrificial reasons to like save her daughter or something like that like gloria heavily implies right at the very end like the last line is do you know why she killed herself you know um so i think there's a lot more to it than that i don't think they killed her i don't think they normally kill the people that um that are asking questions like i said i think they they usually treat them like they treat gloria and that makes sense to me but yeah i think they killed the son because the son also committed suicide remember that's true. Yeah. I think they killed the son and she killed herself so they don't they won't kill her daughter. Kill Juliet. Yeah. Because yeah. I, yeah, I think they killed the son to shut her up. Yeah. And then they threatened to kill Juliet as well. Yeah. Yeah. And she makes sure they will never suspect her of talking ever again. Uh because when you have two children and you commit suicide because one children died, that's a like it happens. It happens, but in a, in a narrative like you know in a narrative a person is writing it seems like a not a thing you would write no like, yeah. i think that twist is going to be that she killed herself to protect julia and i she probably said that off screen we'll probably find that out next episode right, gloria yeah. probably said that uh um but uh, what do you gloria did batman out of that room <laughs> yeah, julia definitely did <laughs> julia julia <laughs> unless she's just hiding under the bed or something yeah maybe she like went through the vent i don't know <laughs> So where does this leave us? Do you think Juliet is on the run now? Do you think Sims is going to publicly chase her down now? I don't know if he can. I mean, she is the sheriff. Um, mm. And Sims seems to be operating with Juliet a little more carefully than he would normally. I, I think... Well, because of the badge. Like I said, the badge is a shield. <laughs> when she remembers to wear it. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> that was a very funny thing. I love it. Have you seen this? And she points at Hold on a minute. <laughs> and I don't, I think the one she pulled out is, I don't think that's her badge. I think that's the one that Holston's game. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was funny. Um, no, I think he's going to, he's going to get frustrated and he's going to make mistakes. Um so, and I think she's going to have to, she's also probably going to make mistakes because that's what she does. Um, I mean, majority of our playbook is mistakes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just make mistakes until it works out. Yeah. That's how I, that's how I live my life. I'm still alive. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I don't know if she'll be on the run, but she is going to know now, like, how ridiculously careful she's going to have to be. Um, if she actually wants to get anything done. Um, yeah. Yeah. She's also hasn't learned to play one of her most valuable cards properly yet, which is Pasteta as a sheriff and its importance in public relation. And like, I think that's what Billings think about is things for. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Billings is teaching her that lesson. Yeah. 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 I think eventually when she and Valen has to be completely honest with each other and team up, 
I think that's when she'll le- learn how to play that card through Billings. I, it's too early in the series for her to lose her status as a sheriff. I don't think she'll become a fugitive and be on the run. No, but no, neither all- way. But another thing is also like I think Sims is gonna find a weakness in his system in that he has too many figureheads in place which are susceptible to Juliet's <laughs> level of bulldozing through their lives and guilt tripping them. Like she already have um Holston over to her side. She's she's Vin Diesel from Fast and Furious. She's <laughs> <laughs> converting enemies into allies. She's converting law enforcement, especially into allies. <laughs> she has already converted Holston. She has already converted Bernard. She has already converted Billings. <laughs> she's gonna convert Meadows next. I 100% guarantee you. Yeah, Madding, Mad- but, Meadows is definitely gonna be in her camp. And like you said, yeah. they're probably gonna use um whatever her name is. I can't remember her ex. Oh yeah, Walker. Yeah, Walker. Yeah. Um, so I think it's going to be like Sim is going to be caught in a rock and a hard place where he can't make public moves against her because the figurehead he has in place is going to be like no, like publicly I'm going to say she remains a sheriff so you can't like, and you can't just push her off the fucking railing because the, <laughs> the <laughs> silo is close to a riot. <laughs> no, he's gonna he's gonna do what he does. He's gonna try to find leverage against her. Uh, he's going to probably kill her father. Um, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> jokes on her. She doesn't give a sh- jokes on him. She doesn't give a shit <laughs> she about hates her. Him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so lucas let's think our best to lucas we think they are other flame keepers so do you think my theory is lucas if he is a um catfish a spy or whatever um he is part of the flame keepers not oh, part of sims like i said it's not as true sim can use <laughs> <laughs> no like i said the very first time we met lucas i really do think he's trying to recruit her but he's doing mm-hmm. it very carefully very slowly mm-hmm. yeah I hope he's also genuinely attracted to her, genuinely affectionate to her, because our girl Juliet can only take so much. <laughs> don't think she can find out she's being manipulated by another cute little bearded IT guy. <laughs> <laughs> she would probably kill Lucas. <laughs> no, I, I do think that he might be genuinely attracted to her. I think that would be fine. I don't think that would that would undo anything. Who wouldn't be? She's a complete human hurricane of a mess that is blowing <laughs> through the silo. I mean, I love and, it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not being sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you have any other predictions for the immediate episodes? We're coming up towards the end. Eight, nine, ten. I so still will, I still think we'll probably have to end get... with a big deal. And then we'll we have get... nine to ten to wrap it up. Sorry. Yeah, I still think we gotta get some flashbacks. Um I'm less convinced now than I was at the end of the last episode. I think we might get it all through exposition, but I still feel like we need to see more of what happened with Holston and maybe even what happened with her mother. Like, I think we might get little flashbacks to that. Maybe not a whole episode like I was predicting last time, but maybe, maybe just chunks, you know? Um, I still think that that is in the cards and has to be, we have to get that information somehow. I would have thought Gloria would have told Holston about the surveillance, but clearly Holston came to Gloria already knowing about the surveillance. Right. That he covered it up with the flowers and then talked to her. So where did he learn that information? The where the drive. fuck did he go? How did he like oh. I think maybe he got information off the hard drive somehow? Yeah. Okay. Well, the hard drive probably have in 
information contained about all the hidden corridors and all that stuff. Maybe he discovered the janitorial thing uh, from the blueprint, and he maybe he like follows somebody in. Yeah, could be. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Oh. I can't believe we don't even care that much about what's outside the silo anymore. That's good writing because <laughs> yeah, like, there's writing. so many new, so many new <laughs> mysteries, and like we know that's not going to be answered for a long time. So we're like focusing on the immediate <laughs> mysteries. <laughs> <laughs> All right, do you have anything else to add before we wrap it up? Uh no, I'm excited. I'm really, really digging this show. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I also went and watched the new um, Into the Spider-Verse, Spider-Man. Uh, I won't talk about it until Eric has seen it. And <laughs> this is a month for a lot of movies. Um, I got to get big... to the theater somehow. <laughs> we have Flash. Um, unfortunately, uh, Ezra Miller is a, another human hurricane, but <laughs> I still need to watch that movie. Uh, we have Transformers. We have um, uh, Indiana Jones. I still haven't seen Guardians of the Galaxy 3, so, yeah. Mm. Yeah, you need to get to it, my friend. And my local cinema is, like, doing a rerun of classic animes, and I want to go watch things like uh, uh, Deep Blue. Uh, Deep Blue? Perfect Blue. Perfect Blue, yeah. Perfect Blue. God, I love that movie. Yeah. (laughs) I only have so much time. I only have (laughs) so much time. And, like, I have a lot of drinking to do as well. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, on that note, I actually have to get somewhere. So let's wrap this up. (laughs) (laughs) An episode of the Streaming Heap. And as always, leave a review, a five-star review, if you could, on the platform of your choice. It really helped with our discovery. Um, Somebody left a new review. I will read it out next episode. Woo! And if you have any questions, comments, abuse, whatever, uh, send it into the Streaming Heap. (laughs) at outlook.com and maybe get a get a good rewatch in of foundation season one before season two starts mm, yes that will be our next subject yes okay until next time this has been the streaming heap and i have been lynn and i have been eric and life is but a stream goodbye goodbye i don't like that voice you do no i know <laughs> <laughs> i can tell i see it in your face every time <laughs>